Hey everyone, and welcome to Patronage, a new limited edition show from the team behind Patron, an early stage venture fund investing in a broader gaming thesis. Join me, Amber Atherton, and my partners, Brian Cho and Jason Ye, as we host roundtable discussions with leading CEOs, founders, and industry experts, debating the challenges and ideas that will shape the future of the internet. This show is not investment advice and is for entertainment purposes only. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. My name is Brian Cho, and I'm the general partner and co-founder of Patron. Today, we'll be discussing the current state of Web3 games and hearing from the top two builders behind some of the most successful blockchain games-related projects in the space. First, we have Ryan Wyatt, the president of Polygon Studios, a leading scaling protocol in the blockchain space. Prior to Polygon, Ryan was most recently an executive at Google, where he was the head of gaming at YouTube. We also have Alexander Larson, one of the co-founders of Sky Mavis, the developer and publisher behind Axie Infinity, a breakout play-to-earn title that reached millions of players worldwide. Welcome to the pod, guys. We're excited to have you here. So, um, yeah, I guess before we even get started, love to hear about you know both of your origin stories as it relates to gaming and crypto. You know, Ryan, you left a executive position at YouTube to join this space full time, and Alexander, you've been building in this space ever since the last bear market and you've like persevered and launched a project that was super successful. So love to hear about your guys' background story as it relates to the space. So I joined uh, almost a year and a half ago from YouTube. I I spent my whole background and life all in video games, uh, whether it was playing competitively, commentating, um, you know, focusing on the creator economy, which is what I did at Major League Gaming and Machinima and ultimately YouTube and got to see that grow over 12, 13 years, right? Which was super fascinating space. Uh, loved it, spent a lot of time in there, see a tremendous amount of parallels that I'm, I'm sure we'll cover at some point in these discussions. And ultimately, I'm just a, I'm a, I'm still like a pretty big diehard gamer to this day. I play Counter-Strike, you know, very frequently deal with kind of some of the, the, the marketplace antics there and have been playing Counter-Strike, honestly, for 20 years now. And I just started to feel in general, looking at from my perspective at YouTube and and with video games, I got really into Web3 because of digital ownership. You know, I didn't read like a Bitcoin white paper that got me set on crypto. I didn't really follow it too closely while at YouTube. Um, And so once I started to believe in digital ownership and where that's evolving, that's kind of what took me down the rabbit hole. And for me, I felt not having an intermediary uh, platform where all of this stuff is hosted is really key. And that's where I started actually then just getting interested conceptually into like what what blockchain is. And once you get into the space, you realize obviously how all of these things are interconnected around decentralization. And it got, I, you know, I became fascinated with the DeFi concepts and, and all of this. But ultimately it was through video games and digital ownership that I got really interested in the space and hence came over to Polygon and if, if for those that maybe are coming from the the gaming side that aren't familiar, Polygon is a is a is a layer two blockchain uh, that helps scale Ethereum and have low transaction costs. And so we work with all kind of partners from you know gaming to large enterprise like Starbucks and Nike and other companies to a lot of Web three endemic projects. And that's where I've been spending my time uh, and have loved it and have enjoyed the ride thus far. What do you think it's been like the biggest shift for you, like coming from YouTube where you know there's like massive scale and Obviously, like when you're focused on the gaming side, you got to see a lot of the gaming content creators and having switching over to the crypto side and now you're working more on the infrastructure. Like, yeah, what's been like the realization and the biggest unlock in terms of realization there? You know, I think it's like it's all where people 
wrap their mind on like where this tech is in the moment. Like I think when you talk to people, it's the 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 issue is time frame, right? It's like, are we here right now? Has this moment arrived or is it still building? And for me, I think we're still in a very early infrastructure building play of the underlying systems that are going to be built for compelling consumer experiences to be built on top of them. And obviously that's like in the heart of what we do. So this is where I, you know, I spend my time and energy. Um, and that actually reminds me a lot of when we were, you know, playing tournaments and, and, and doing tournaments in like hotel ballrooms, streaming content was really expensive, like CDN, like uploading it, obviously consuming it. There wasn't like PC hardware was super cumbersome. So you couldn't even really stream content. So Justin TV, Ustream, the costs were all messed up, right? Because it was so expensive to host live infrastructure. It was very hard to be a creator and upload. So the space didn't exist, but people were tinkering conceptually with this idea. If you could live stream, that could be cool, right? Same with uploads, right? You had very, it was hard to upload gameplay content. Then you had the Dazzle capture card that let Xbox and PlayStation plug into it. So I say all that is because what I was focused on was, yeah, the content certainly on top, but you had all these infrastructure dependencies and, and, and that really were things that were out of your control long-term that would end up happening that were these huge catalysts, right? Whether it was hardware improvement, internet costs like upload speeds into homes happening. You, know, you, you as YouTube, you have no control over any of this stuff, right? Like you don't have a hardware company, you don't control CDN costs. You kind of do, I guess, but like across the industry. And so for me, that, that, that was the really interesting parallel. And so to answer your question, like what I find fascinating here is I think of where I personally would assess where, where this space is at is the video games being streamed in a hotel ballroom, right? Like very, very early iterative stage still. And you're seeing enough promise of things that are shiny. They might not be big, but things that are highly intriguing and, and you're going to have to wait it out on some of this stuff, but we're in the infrastructure stage and now we're starting to see people do some cool things tinkering on top and uh, that'll need to expand. And, and for you, Alexander, you know, you guys were one of the first ones to build in the space and you guys basically built one of the most successful projects that sparked a lot of the excitement around Web3 games. Just, yeah, walk us through like what's been your journey into the space and how you got into both games and crypto. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Happy to be here. Uh, and also, hi, Ryan. Uh, so for me, you know, been building now in crypto for you know it's been a little, little bit over five years but my background is actually you know on the gaming side i was a competitive gamer i played competitive warcraft 3 competitive uh, dota i guess i represented norway you know not that it actually meant anything because it was so early i'm born in 1986 so definitely on the earlier side of of the of the gaming crew there but gaming was always my identity right but more as a i, I was also doing a lot of tournaments uh kind of hosting because we didn't, you know, what, what was in my DNA was, oh, if nobody else is going to do it, I'm just going to have to do it myself, right? Uh, but it was never really for the money. It was always because I was very passionate about the, the gaming space in general. So I was doing something totally unrelated, uh, working in the Norwegian uh, state, actually. And then I transferred my career into becoming working at, uh, at an indie game studio. And that was kind of late 20, 2016, early 2017. And then eventually I was also reading up on decentralization and I was uh, always very passionate about people owning their data. So that's kind of where that came from and, and actually less about the currency side of things, right? I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist or anything like that, but I'm very passionate about people owning their data. And I like the fact that it's a decentralized computing network that nobody controls. Uh, so I was attracted to that and then kind of coalesced with the whole gaming side of things when I discovered CryptoKitties. 
so when CryptoKitties came out, there was this very early proof of concept in terms of like, okay, what's possible with when, when NFTs come into play? So these unique digital assets that can actually uh, represent your gaming history. That was what I thought. That whenever people do something in games, these are probably going to be stored as NFTs. And, you know, you can also combine this with, with business model innovation when it comes to games and then and have open economies because you tap into the crypto side of things. To me, that was very attractive. So I was playing CryptoKitties and I met Jeff of Jiho and then Trung, uh, who's a coder uh, or the original coder at, at Axie. Uh, and we were talking a lot and we, 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 we truly enjoyed each other's company. And Trung said, I'm going to make Axie this game. I was like, okay, cool. Uh, I'm not going to join. I was living in Norway. So I was like, Moving to Vietnam, that sounds crazy. <laughs> it's a different vibe. But, you know, that's uh, at the end of the day, I, I was uh, convinced after getting to know him. He's a competitive coder. I was a competitive gamer. It was like, okay, I like people who want to win. So that was kind of how I ended up moving to Vietnam and kind of starting with Axie. And it was very difficult, right? Because, you know, we weren't really game developers from the start, but, you know, we, we shipped a couple of games. We learned a lot. And then eventually we disconnected uh, a part of the economy that happens inside the game from that and we put it on chain uh and then that's kind of when things really started to blow up especially also when we were shipping our own network which is the rona network which then also enabled scaling for for our players so it's been a massive journey i think we <laughs> at peak we had about 2.7 million daily active players uh it was intense you know we grew from about you know nine people uh until two and now today we're with 250 so it's been an intense journey at SkyMavis, a lot of ups and downs. Uh, I think what I'm trying to do here is build a generational company uh, that's very focused on particularly gaming, but also digital property rights for, for people and enabling that, I think, is, is really the key and, and, and teaching them that there are benefits in this industry that, that's more so than just speculation, right? Even though that's usually what people come from. Yeah, and on that note, I'd love to hear more about like how you guys think about the current state of the space, right? So like ever since Axie launched, there's been... A lot of excitement, you know, a lot of venture dollars entering the space for the past two years. And it feels like there just hasn't been relative to how much capital has gone in um, results as in like games that's gone popular or gone really big. And it feels like today we're at like possibly the lowest point, you know, since like the bear market began. And aside from like the obvious things like crypto overall being in the bear cycle, like why do you think it is where we're at today? And then um, where do you think it goes from here? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll start here. I think we have a very strong thesis on this internally, right? It's you know, it's very difficult to make great games. I think a lot of the, there's so many great Web2 games that are shipped every day, uh, but even a lot of the, most of them fail, right? Uh, so, it, and then when you're adding crypto on top of that, it's, it's exponentially harder to succeed because you're, you know, it might seem that you're making it easier for yourself because you can build this community, you can raise this initial capital. But what you're basically doing is you're front-loading a lot of the, uh, or you're, you're, you are taking on a lot of community debt, uh, actually, in, in, rather than when you were selling assets, right? So we have a strong thesis on, on, on what should be, like what game studios should do when they go to market. And that's also uh, whenever we are basically trying to uh, become a Web3 publisher. So we're working closely with those teams so that they don't make the same mistakes that we do, but try to actually uh, do the same, uh, do learn from us, right? So, so that they can do the same uh, right things that we do. But, you know, naturally, it's, it's just incredibly difficult. And there are also technical challenges from scaling. And, you know, uh, as we painfully experienced ourselves, you know, there are hack challenges. There are so many cyber criminals that are looking at this space right now. Uh, and that also, I think, deters a lot of, of users from coming into space and developers too. So there are definitely challenges, but you know the way I see it is that, that that's also when there is 
uh, a, a big blue ocean out there. You know, the one thing about this subject that's really interesting is it's like in a it's an attention span and expectation time frame thing again that I was talking about because we looked at so we did a, a partnership with Immutable. Immutable's building a Polygon Supernet, so it's it's a it's a it's a Polygon chain powered by Immutable, and they're kind of serving both as like a middleware provider, but as a game publisher too, right? Like Web three endemic native game publisher. So the games that get launched there go on Polygon, and and we were spending time looking at it, and uh, two billion dollars across Immutable and Polygon have been invested into games that are building on the platform. Now. That not by obviously Polygon or Immutable, but when you take the aggregate investments of those games that are building and deploying on Polygon and Immutable, it accumulated $2 billion. Of that, you've seen single digit percentage of even a peep at those games too, right? And so there's a couple things that are going to happen. One, those games, depending on what they're building, the depth and complexity, how big the team is, yada, yada, will trickle out over the next three or four years. Maybe only a couple of them even hit. But there'll be games that gamers will be interested in. There will be games in there like forget of, forget the crypto blockchain digital part. None of that shit should really matter, to be honest with you. There will be games that gamers are going to be interested in, full stop, they come out of there. Uh, there will be things that people do inside of each one of those that are unique to blockchain. There will be things that are not that unique, right? For example, just putting digital all the digital assets on a marketplace. Like You can do that with Counter-Strike. Right? Counter-Strike today... You can get a bayonet fade. I can go sell it on, you know, a, a, a skins website. I can get the money. Yeah, maybe we're violating the toss, but they're not shutting it down or whatever. And like, you've got a foe. You, I can see, you know, what the flow is as far as people buying. You might not be able to see how many there are. There's, you know, there's some that's implied as far as scarcity, yada yada. But it gets you close enough, and that's a big business. And then you've got Roblox that just reported seven hundred thirty million dollars or something like that in Q one from people buying Robux. So behaviorally, forget it. People are all fine with these like digital currencies, digital assets. That's not even like what we should be talking about. It's just going to be now the evolution of that and what you'll do when it's on this infrastructure versus the current one. And then I think what will happen is there will be a bunch of things. Games industry loves stealing from each other. It's it's beautiful for gamers because you start to get the best of both worlds. And then you have these beautiful games that get built on top because of it. Right. So there's a lot of, let's say, inspiration, if you will. Um, I do think then that will seep into games. Gamers expectations will start to be different. Right. They will start to say, like, I spend this money on these things. I want fluidity, whether I sell them, trade them, rent them. I, now I can maybe even put things up. Can like I risk some of them where it's like maybe it gets burned. Maybe it does get, you know, somebody beats me in battle and is able to take it. And yeah, it opens up a litany of issues around cheating and how do you protect hacking and yada, yada. Like there, it's not all figured out. Right. And so that's why I think it's a timing and expectation thing. There's so much capital that got invested in the space. And there's so many talented folks. I mean, there are so many talented game developers that are doing Web3 games. Like, please, you know, so many. So it's going to take patience. There's going to be different catalysts along the way. But I just think, and, and gamers, you can throw the opinion out the window. We're full of shit as gamers. Like, we have all kind of crazy opinions. We hated mobile games, hated free-to-play, like hated these different business models, hate loot boxes, but spend on them doesn't matter, right? Like at the end of the day, you put a good game in front of people that people like to play, enjoy, and get excited about. It solves all of these things. Um, so I think we overcomplicate and over litigate some of these topics. It's irrelevant. You know, time ha time handles some of this stuff. I guess on the specific, you know, um, topic of time, like what, do you, what kind of blockchain or Web3 games do you think work in the near term, right? Because I agree with you in the long term, there's going to be a lot of different genres and end up working. But 
Do you think today, like, let's say in the next, like, one to two years, is it more like games that cater toward crypto native folks? Um, is it like creating like new segment of gamer market? Is it going after traditional gamers? Like what's both well, your best thoughts? It's really too always like, been like financialization first and targeted towards crypto audience, right? I mean, I think actually like actually maybe the first time people start really talking about, okay, there's like something here that's br more broadly applicable than just it being, you know, games, DeFi skinned games. Um, and so, yeah, I think ultimately the only way that you'll get any kind of critical mass is making games for gamers, right? Um, and focusing on great games. And some of these underlying infrastructure, again, it should be irrelevant, right? It's the same as the irrelevance of, you know, if Call of Duty's on AWS or Google Cloud. I think you can go into these experiences where this stuff will be built. And yeah, maybe maybe you're doing something where like your, your items do get burned and that's like when you put them into battle or so forth. But it might as well just be putting some of these economies on blockchain where it's better for the user, gives more flex, more product autonomy on some of these things. Um, and then it will be interesting how outside influences do that. Like when you put, like if you take that Roblox, that almost billion dollars that was spent on Roblox and you put it on chain where now it's actually easy, I, it will have intended and unintended consequences, which will be learning experiences. When all of a sudden venture capital and institutions can buy Robux, it changes that market and it might not all be for good. It might not all be for bad, but it will change it, right? And so we have to learn. Nobody knows. It's anybody's best guess on what this thing looks like. But I do think you're introducing a lot of fascinating elements into the games industry over the next five to six years, fascinating, that have not been able to be introduced before. And we will have to collectively as an industry suss out where blockchain games are most applicable. It's not for everything. It's like, yeah, yeah I'm excited for Zelda. Like, don't put Zelda on chain. It doesn't need to happen, right? But there are definitely systems and games that will create new game experiences that will be fun as hell because of it. At Sky Mavis, and we're hyper-focused on mobile right now. Um, and I'm particularly in Southeast Asian markets, India, and also uh, in in South America, you know, we think that emerging markets are great to 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 uh, to to, uh, to target. Uh, a lot of them don't even have financial inclusion, so they don't have bank accounts. Um, you know, the great thing about having a game where you know they can download it on their mobile, suddenly they have a wallet, and then they're basically banked at the same time. It's incredible, right? Because what it enables is just you know you can partake in, an, in a global financial ecosystem from there. Uh, so we think we see a tremendous amount of potential there. So uh, whenever we are partnering with a game studio, we try to particularly aim for mobile, and then we try to work with them closely on the go to market and, and basically influence what we can. Um, but there are many challenges there to working with these uh, bigger, you know, well, they're not even publishers anymore. They're just uh, they are just app stores. So back in the day, the app stores actually worked a little bit like publishers. But now it could even be argued if if they are if they are that because they don't actually bring so many users to any of these mobile games. So what I think is great about Web3 is that you can basically growth hack uh, with tokens in a good, great, great way if you have um, the ni a nice game flow, uh, a good play pattern, and particularly on mobile, right? Because uh, it's easier to, for, I think, to, to spread there. And those users are, I think, historically used to being treated quite badly from the game developers. So we used to jokingly talk about this back in the day as by Mavis that, you know, these game developers in Web 2, they're just take and take and take and they don't give anything back. It's like a very one-sided relationship. Uh, in crypto and Web 3, if you design these games correctly, you're actually giving more things back to the player 
And our belief was that as long as these players can see that, that, hey, the games have feature parity, the mobile games are just as good as normal. Like, let's, let's assume that they're Supercell made a blockchain type of game, except that you actually own your digital items and you have the, you have the potential to participate in a global and open economy. You know, 10 out of 10 times the players will choose that. And when it comes to Zelda or these other like Web2 type of like native, type, native titles, you know, I would love to see achievements and like that kind of stuff be NFTs. Because as I was saying, like my background is a competitive gamer. I represented Norway, but you know, me telling you guys that is meaningless. But if I had an NFT to represent that, that would be great. Like that would have meaning to me. So not everything is about the financial layer of uh, this, this, uh, uh, this, this infrastructure, but a lot of it is also about the ownership that you know the, the, this enables, so that you can have stronger emotional connections with your game assets. And I think a lot of it's sometimes easy to forget that, uh, but it's very, very important. I like what Alexander said because I believe the one thing people are always like, oh, you know, big game publishers, when are they going to come into the space? And and what Alexander says like spot on that it will. Why I believe all of the great breakthroughs will come from let's call Web three game native game developers. They they might have come from triple a or web two studios but they're like building and they're philosophically building on this conundrum of games developers and studios don't act in the best interest of the users they obviously act in the best interest of themselves and where that is convenient for them will align with users right and so fundamentally when you start to do game development where it feels it's not basically building by committee but you feel more beholden and community oriented in a way that's actually authentic and not lip service because that's structurally how these games are designed and built that's really good and that's where i think this will start to be more eye opening to gamers in in period because i don't think they understand that they are you know maybe they see warzone and they they buy smells money warzone one and none of their guns go to two and so they're like they kind of are having a little bit of sour taste in their mouth you see it with fifa pack openings etc cetera, etc cetera. So, yeah exactly so it's getting it's getting where a little bit of a sour taste in the mouth because game devs and studios are gonna keep pushing and pushing until they can drain like every last squeeze of that lemon out and you're gonna see that happen and then these these uh let's say web three endemic games native games come out where it shows users a different a different relationship with the game that you're playing and the game developer. And I do think these points cross with one of each other where there's an inflection point where gaming users are like, yeah, this is, this is bullshit. This is how it should be done. And that will be the forcing function for larger gamer game publishers and developers to start to think about it more uniquely. I also think that's why those who are have some kind of thesis that's in line where this could have a huge effect on whales and people that do spend money a huge effect on sentiment with gamers and so like are thinking about what does it mean long term and even some of the big ones are getting in for these same reasons i mean like nexon and square enix and some of these folks that are building on polygon so but i i'm so bullish that a lot of this stuff comes from web3 game the de game devs that are their heart is there like it's so important that the heart of the development comes in spawns from that place yeah i mean like just even looking at like riot and supercell like those guys were startups right like it wasn't like a traditional triple a game developer and publisher that's been around for 20 years so um i think i share the same sentiment as you guys a lot of the people that are going to figure it out are going to be likely startups and entrepreneurs and you know like more experiments is great for the space right we want to see like what comes out of this and um Generally, like, yeah, we're, we're more often optimistic on the earlier stage front. It should come from them, right? Like, why would I, if I'm running Call of Duty, dude, it's just prints money. I'm like, yeah, cool. Blockchain, Web3, whatever. You all like go figure that shit out, right? Because like, you're printing money and you have a complete ownership over the user and you just reprint 
every single year, no problem. So like, tell me why I would even remotely want to engage in anything that's going to disrupt that business. Even so you, you have this, this, these, these developers all have an advantageous position to be observers of the space and they should observe. And so all of the groundbreaking stuff that will happen is going to happen from entrepreneurs. And, and I, I would argue also like, you know, if you guys remember during the, the peak of the market, there was a lot of game publishers say, saying they're getting into Web3 and NFT, but it felt like a cash grab, even like the way they like marketed it right and, and the way that it was positioned. So I generally think like that didn't necessarily help with like the overall gamer sentiment in this space where, you know, no, it's like the folks. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's, there's, there's too many for sure. These, yeah, they were like these, secondary uh, sales uh, money. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah, so they want to sell and and for sure grab grab market share, right? But I think overall the problem is that there is no alignment with the player interests, right? Um, but but what we actually see in I think in Web three is like there is a lot of not shady, but I think misalignment there too, right? Between developers and and and, uh, and players there sometimes as well. So I think really the 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 puzzle to crack here is how do you align incentives between the the three most important parties, right? So there are players. There are developers and there are also speculators, right? So, uh, and a lot of people don't don't manage to 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 align all of those three, right? So, in Axie, for example, uh, a lot of the economy was speculated on, but we couldn't really find a way to align their incentives with the players, right? So, because they were wanting to extract uh, the players, also, so so there are all of these like very very tricky things that that need to be figured out. But you know, of course, the only way to figure it out is to be in the trenches to experiment. And um, when I was talking to Trung about even starting up Axie. And, and, you know, when I'm also talking to other entrepreneurs that we're partnering with is, you know, guys, we need to be more aggressive with experiments because that's the only way we can learn. And we need to think long-term about this because, you know, if we're, if we're in this space and we truly believe that gaming, first of all, I think these are the things that you need to believe. Gaming will be bigger and bigger and bigger. Like it's competing with regular entertainment movies, whatever else that might be, but it's more interactive. These experiences are... You know, they're, they are, they are as, especially as you go into user-generated content too, they are limitless in a sense that, you know, people are spending so much time in games. Um, and the second thing I think you have to believe is that digital ownership actually matters, that people want to own their data and stuff. And if you believe those two things, you should be inherently bullish on blockchain gaming. Uh, and then you, you just have to look at it from a, from a long time frame. To just double down on that point, like one of the biggest questions around Web3 games is like sustainability, right? Like... How do you balance uh, players that become investors? And, you know, you know, there's the because there's an open market, you certainly introduce like the folks that are more speculators and um, rather than people that are like playing the game. So, like, what do you think this evolves into? And, you know, is it, is it like a way to control the economy? Like, what do you think changes need to be made um, from like more of a developer perspective? And maybe it's more on the community side, but. Yeah, like, how do we actually make this thing more sustainable? And um, what's your take in terms of, like, the lessons that we may have learned during the last two years? It's funny. I was on a panel with, random panel many years ago with, uh, well, with Al Gore. <laughs> they asked me about sustainability. Eh? And I was like, I was talking about game sustainability, but they were talking about sustainability. From <laughs> something totally different because I was so, so focused on the economy aspect of making Axie sustainable. So I'm like, oh, whenever someone asks me about sustainability, I'm like, wait, which, where are we? Are we talking about the environment right now or games? The point is for games uh, and, and when it comes to sustainability, it's, it's one of the more difficult things to make for sure. Right? I think it, it's underlying tied to the product quality right so you have to start from there 
what kind of, and I like to look at it from a nation perspective almost, because every nation that, that is, um, that, that, that is exists today, right? They have a GDP, right? They're producing something. And in games, that production would be equal to entertainment value. And other things that can be produced inside those games, eventually as the entertainment value goes high, if it's an MMO, people can produce whatever else that might be assets, resources, whatever other people are selling them. Eventually you have an in-game economy and that has a GDP. Um, and that GDP, then people can speculate on. And then eventually, you know, more people come into it, you know, they might build other things. And then you need to think like, how big is the delta between the GDP of the nation or the game and the, the speculators, right? Because that's where the unsustainable aspects come from, right? So in actually what we saw is that the quality of the product was like consistently being developed, but the speculators came in and they speculated so much that it seemed like the delta or the difference between the speculators and the underlying quality of the product was too high. So it crashed. And that's really when you like that, that's very tied to the cyclical behavior also of crypto, but it's very similar to the, uh, the way that an emerging economy is like with boom and bust cycles over time. Uh, so at the end of the day, tied to the quality of the product and like long-term building things and like finding ways that, you know, you need to have pockets of infrastructure inside these game economies or pockets of things that actually work, right? Uh, what's a loop inside that economy that, that kind of is functioning and then build many of these systems together. It's incredibly difficult. And I, I spend a lot of time talking to uh, Hilmar of CCP about this, who's of course, you know, EVE Online is incredibly interesting to, to watch and see what they've done. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, that that is exactly what makes crypto so difficult, especially if you are on the scale of, okay, NFTs are achievements. That's kind of the, <laughs> the only like the whole total like minimum way to introduce uh, blockchain to the way of, hey, this is an open economy where everything is an NFT or everything is a fungible token, whatever. That is the, 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 the real challenge to kind of get there. But to me, that's more of a real game. Like that's when you, when you turn, uh, you know, that to me is the metaverse, actually. Even if the metaverse, like to many people, is about fidelity, to me, the metaverse is just like a more expansive internet with a real economy. And, you know, the, the the GDP of that game is massive, so people can live there. Yeah, I mean, I do. I think it's a reality. Like, regardless, you know, if you're going to have, if you're already kind of creating these faux open economies, a la Call of Duty, Valorant, Counter Strike, whatever. It is. It is natural that then once they actually become open markets the effects of that happen. And I think that will have really positive effects on gamers and it could have negative effects on gamers as well, um, depending on the situation that you're in. But right now, when you think of these transactions, it's just you're, you spend money and you get the item in return and that's it and you're locked out of it. So when you think about value, it's like all around expectation based. So like you shouldn't be playing any of those games thinking that the skin that you bought in season one is going to be worth 10 X what you, what it is. You're just like, I like this game, bought this skin in season one. It's what I want. It's cool. Um, you don't, you don't have any expectation of it. So if institutions come in and that knife goes from like $20 to $2,000, it's like it, it just is what it is, I think, on some of this stuff. But that's why I think depending on you can build some of these games where do you make NFTs of value only when they're constantly utilized and like attributes get accrued to them based off of some of these behaviors. So I, I think all of these things in practice, people scare, like get scared away of what could happen from it. I have such a different perspective of let that stuff happen, let people iterate and and that will challenge innovation and game development and people to think differently 
and allow these things to kind of trickle in and learn and adapt and iterate from it. I mean, I think Axie's done that as well too, right? I mean, it's like you kind of keep going and you keep iterating and you learn a ton along the way. Then you're setting the tone for the next cycle of game development because you're like, I've done these things. I've learned these things. Here's what we've learned. And you're just going to keep building on that foundation. It's going to get stronger and stronger for the ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, the, the analog version of like what you guys are talking about could be like Match the Gathering, right? It's been around for 30 years, but like one of the biggest subreddits within Magic the Gathering is like the investing side where people are like collecting and, but you're not playing Magic just to like, you know, make money in the cards, but there is that component where um, people like being able to own those things and collecting and actually building a collection is key part of that experience. So yeah, like certainly I think like the Web3 version of this is going to be just a lot more complex and compelling, but um I think I generally agree with both of you guys. Like, you know, I think with the bull market came a lot of speculators and financialization, and it feels like this is the time to be actually building experiences that we'll get to more on the gameplay side of things rather than, you know, just like the pure speculation and financialization. That still is going to come back, though. It's, it's it, You know what I'm saying? Like, and that will be an inherent part of it, and it is what it is. That's why, like, I just think if you really want genuine freedom, digital ownership, owning your data – then you you are breaking you are breaking literally walls down and so it invites all kind of stuff right it's just par for the course so like again not every game is going to be interested in, in building when you break those walls down it might be like that means nothing to the game I'm building that shit doesn't make any sense but it will open up really interesting experiences and it is going to be all of that. And speculators are going to come back. And then you're going to be playing some random game where they were trading that butterfly knife for $20. And all of a sudden, it's like 2000 bucks because everyone's talking about crypto and blockchain in 2025 again as this like innovative infrastructure. You'll see it again. So it, it, is, it is what it is, though, too. So I think it's also, as a gamer, when you come to the table, what do you want? What are your expectations out of the game that you're playing? And that's no different with any game today, right? I'm actually a big fan of Magic the Gathering. I've played it for, I think, Ice Age. So what is it, like 20 years or something? Or maybe 16, 17. Uh, and I actually follow the collectible markets there. It's incredibly fascinating. There's this one guy called Rudy. Um, what's his name again? Alpha Investments. Is it, uh, and, you know, I, I love to see all the, especially the mistakes uh, that the guys at uh, Hasbro or the people who bought the Magic the Gathering IP does. Um, and just how little they understand of their players. And I use it to keep myself humble too, because it's difficult the more your company grows, the bigger it becomes, to stay as hungry and stay as connected to the community all the time. Um, because you don't have the same um inputs right as they do when they come into the game in the community right so i remember when i sold my first crypto kitty for ten thousand dollars or something i was i mean i was ecstatic i was blown away i thought this is insane complete insanity how can a freaking game cat sell for ten thousand dollars that's crazy and then i see all these nfts like i've sold i think i sold a a board eight for a I don't know, 100 Ether or something like that. And, you know, that was a peak bear market, a bull market, right? So things change fast in, in the world, right? So we have to stay humble and, and stay grounded. I think the other thing, too, that we kind of like talk past each other on all this is um, a lot of these, you know, a lot of people come back and it's like, I don't want to own my stuff. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And I think that's fine. And I, that's my, my, my thought process around it is the total addressable market as far as like gamers that have genuine appetite of like genuine digital ownership 
is actually relatively small in a number of people. Let's say five to 10% of gamers. It's still hundreds of millions of people, but that's where I kind of think we're in, right? And that that's the TAM. The thing about that group is whales disproportionately drive these economies in small groups versus all these people with time to kill that drive these free-to-play economies. And so if whales, and I think this is I think this idea around spending in games and like having digital ownership obviously resonates the more you contribute into a game. You're like, damn, I spent all that money on Diablo or I damn, I spent all that money on, you know, you know uh, Clash of Clans, right? I think it's those folks where it resonates first and, and, and it's okay, right? And I do think that's the conundrum of a lot of this because that would be the group that would advocate for more, let's call them user rights, ownership, autonomy. And when that happens and there are games that they appeal to them, it really fundamentally shifts this like in a meaningful way the way that this free-to-play model has operated in an undisturbed and uninterrupted way thus far, where it's like, cool, these people have spent a lot of money are going to allow us to launch these free-to-play games and that's going to work for everybody, right? Um, and so I think, it, I think it threatens the model, the underlying free-to-play model, which affects a lot of people. But what is being pitched as far as, hey, owning these economies, I think is a smaller group. And so therein lies a bunch of issues we would spend hours unpacking separately, but... I think of that's why sometimes the branding and messaging is off on some of these things too. And that's broad strokes. There's plenty of people that are going to do things that are blockchain games where that's like not the intended outcome of it or the target audience. But there is a reality there in a little bit of the communication with gamers where we talk past each other. Can we actually talk more about the target audience too? Because I think both of you guys have good perspective on like the international market, right? And I think it kind of reminds me of like a lot of like the the mobile gaming stuff where, you know, on YouTube, like some of the biggest content is being created by like mobile games that are not in the U.S., that are not on console, which I think is really just, you know, kind of the core gamers in the West. Um, yeah, just walk us through in terms of like, you know, the international aspect of Web3 games and where the space is able to evolve on that front. Because I feel like that's actually like the, the blue ocean, right? Axie Infinity found product market fit in the Philippines first. And and I and I don't think that's a coincidence, right? Um, in the in the in the global south or emerging markets, I think they have a bigger incentive to experiment and try, uh, because if it succeeds or whatever it is that they're trying, right, they're constantly looking uh, for for things that might inf- impact their lives in a big way. And especially on blockchain, if you do end up succeeding there, and like let's say a thousand dollars could have massive massive implications for you as a person and your family, right? So they're looking at for something to 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 try out. And I think that's also why it's fertile ground to to uh to ship things and, and find product market fit. Um so yeah, we are we are quite interested in, in in that market. And I think it's also the good time to build global IPs. So what we see, for example, especially out of China, um that you know that that West that that uh, IP coming up of Eastern countries, right, resonates well with even Western audiences, right? I think uh, Genshin Impact is the perfect example, right? That, you know, it's bleeding more into, into Western culture, but it's harder to kind of breach that gap going the other way, right, with, with Western IP. Uh, we're experimenting with both. Uh, there, and even <laughs> we're doing it uh, in, in India. Uh, we're bullish on that market as well. So we're partnering with a cricket game um, uh, and kind of uh, doing a more of a hyper-localized approach there trying to see if we can uh, maybe replicate a little bit of what happened in Kabanatuan city, which is kind of where the Axia phenomenon started. So trying to see if we can actually turn it into a viral phenomenon in one place and then eventually kind of go to market from there. And I think these are you know, some of the observations that we've made 
um, building Axie over time, which we also share with, with the partners that we have. Okay, what, what does a good go-to-market look like? Why do we think it's a good idea? Why is that a bad idea? Should you ship your NFTs? Should you not ship NFTs? Where in the scale of uh, Web3 is your game? Do you just need collectible NFTs or do you want to go all in and have EVE Online, right? You know, that's that's up to the game. Like, how confident are you? The further along the scale it goes, like, the, there is an exponential you know, <laughs> uh, difficulty layer there. So many of these conversations are dominated with U.S. bias. Um, and a lot of game innovation has actually come from the East, you know, behaviorally. Um, and so when I spend time speaking with game publishers and developers out there, it's not that there's not a little bit of like uh, maybe skepticism. Like if you look at the Nexon, you know, Maple Story announcement that's on Polygon, it was it was mixed, right? You know, and I think they expected it to be mixed. I don't think that was like a surprise. So it's not to say, hey, everybody in the East is like, oh, they're Web3, totally enamored. This is the future. But the amount of skepticism and just like visceral response that we see is just in the U.S., right? Um, I think it's a little more measured and other countries. Now, I think the underlying thing is true. You just have to, things need to be produced. Like nobody cares about, 99.9% of gamers aren't really concerned with tinkering and innovation. They just like put a good game in front of me. That's your that's your thing. And until you do, it's a, it, you know, uh, it's a problem. So that's a big part of it. I do think the other point to you that you made is, you know, one observation at YouTube when I was there, you know, it was that U.S. bias, and the reality was like some of our to- our actual top creators. You have the the usual suspects that were like Markiplier and so forth, but even Spanish creators that were largely driving the conversations, like El Rubius and so forth. And you had Nobru and some of these other ones that were Portuguese speaking in Brazil, and these were the ones. And and U.S. creators would be like, "Who is that?" It's like, well, who that is is seventy five million subscribers with like four hundred million views a month, right? They're like the size of Mr. Beast and people don't know who they are. So there's a little bit of that in play that's happening. Um, And so I I think you do have to take a global perspective. And the interesting thing is even hearing like Alexander talk, even him and I like are coming from it with these different perspectives. I love what he said about, hey, like Axie's onboarding people that are going to turn them bankless for the first time, right? And give them access. Like, I don't think like that. I'm not thinking that way. So it's good that we have, like I will now moving forward that I heard it, but I think it's really important that we recognize there's going to be all these different people's perspectives and contributions happening in the space, and the cul- you know, the efforts will culminate into something a little bit bigger here. And, and you guys are both focused on building infrastructure, attracting developers on to build on your L2, and you know, in, in some cases, like building your own projects internally. So, yeah, as a final question, just like walk us through what makes you most excited about the future of this space, and what you've been what you've been seeing as it relates to builders and projects that are being built on crypto rails. What I'm most excited about and on crypto rails, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's definitely gaming, but, but I think a lot of what we're seeing is being enabled by decentralized finance too. Uh, but, you know, actually wouldn't be where it was today, uh, unless, uh, Uniswap had come into existence because it, it democratized trading and democratized the way that people can, you know, create liquidity pools. And actually there was a players and actually that created the liquidity pool between SLP and U- and ETH the first time. So we didn't set the price for SLP and players did that. So, you know, I think we will see more innovation coming out of that side of the ecosystem too. But what we do at SkyMavis is we try to combine all of the pieces that we see that's happening in the space. Because as Ryan is saying, we are very in tune with this ecosystem, right? We try to combine the pieces and make this holistic user experience that makes it very easy for 
other developers also to build with us and also the players that should be able to see just how how uh, innovative uh, these games are and the benefits that that it brings to them right like that's basically all uh so i'm very excited about all the games that we're partnering with and also doing it with more i think we have a little bit of a different approach than what polygon is doing right we're very targeted because we like to you know the way we see it is succeeding with games is so hard that and we have limited amount of resources, right? So we need to really target a specific set amount of, of, of developers and work very, very closely with them so that so that uh, whenever they are going to market, they have the absolute like highest chance to, to succeed. Uh, and I'm very excited, for example, about the Machines Arena building with us. So, you know, naturally games, I think, is where, where most of the, uh, the users into this ecosystem come from. But we have to use the innovations that, that's coming from the other side of the you know, you might call them academics, you might call them, you know, innovators from the DeFi space. There's so many cool people building here uh, and, I, and I love being in the space, right? So that's how I can justify spending, you know, 12 hours here every day, you know, five years in, right? Why? You know, it's not about the money anymore. It's more, to me, it's actually about because I feel like we can have an influence on the future of the internet in an amazing way. So that's what, what I'm passionate about. You've aged well for five years in this space. Let me tell you, sir. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you so we were, um, yeah, we're almost kind of like the opposite side of this on the protocol side. So then, then Ronan, so we, you know, Polygon has three separate protocol offerings. Um, we have a ZKVM, which is in beta, uh, which is our zero knowledge protocol. We have Supernets, which is for like dedicated app chains and we have our POS chain. Um, and we work with, you know, a variety of folks across each one of those protocols, but it's everybody. Like we really are just trying to build the underlying blockchain infrastructure that's applicable to everybody. And so we actually look at kind of the layer up of the builders that build and deploy on top of Polygon, look at like an immutable that uses a Polygon supernet to kind of build as the ones that will actually change, you know, the games industry and be the innovators and the pioneers, right? So all we are focused on in layman's term is, you know, the AWS of Web3, if you will, it's the underlying blockchain infrastructure. And there are a couple different ways, depending on your preference, you can build on them. So like if you want higher security and will inherit higher gas costs, then like ZKVM is great. So DeFi and so forth. If you want really cheap transactions, games are really perfect for that. POS chain is great. If you want a bunch of custom customability, which is what Nexon is building uh, a Polygon Supernet, which is a mutable Polygon Supernet, that allows for that. So we feel like what our mission was, was what are the different developer and builder needs as far as from an infrastructure standpoint, and then how do you get users onto that, right? So on ramps that we focused on. So making sure wallets and marketplaces and different things support it. So that's that's where Polygon's at. That's where we'll continue to focus. It's, we, will, we won't ever have a game studio. Our gaming team is actually help, is, is the team that helps games integrate with the chain. So like engineering solutions or BD or partner success. We don't, we don't plan on doing it or being a game publisher, game studio. In fact, we're incredibly thoughtful about doing nothing that would be antagonistic to anybody that would want to build. So like, don't build a wallet because there are builders there. Don't build a marketplace because there are marketplaces on it. Don't build, you know, a game studio because then there's games. So it's a different approach. I actually love it because I think we need kind of everything. You need that whole, you need like the white glove, work with game developers intimately, get them to deploy. You need mass scale infrastructure plays. And so it's good that we have all these different models that are out there in the ecosystem. I, I also believe that and, you know, the way I see it is none of this truly scales if things really start to take off right now. I think it's one thing to say, you know, 
but you know, let's let's face it. Like we're we're trying to scale the internet here. Like there <laughs> there are how many billions of people that are here and might come, right? So we need many solutions. I don't think there's a one-stop shop for anything right now, but I'm very, I think a rising tide lifts all boats. We've seen this before um, with Axie, particularly driving the narrative. Uh, I think we can do the same thing again, but you know, if other people will do that too, I'll take it. Show us like, please, someone else also do something amazing, cool and innovate. That would be great. Uh, for now though, I still feel like we don't see that much um, from, from games. So it's a little bit similar to, to, uh, I guess what we discussed earlier, right? There's so much money coming into it. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking very closely at other game developers, uh, so far to see if there is something exciting happening, but I, I, I feel uh, for now a little bit disappointed. So, you know, I guess we'll see what happens in the next coming years. Yeah. And I would, I would uh, agree with the point too, of that's why I think where we are right now. And it is, I think it does tie up the beginning really well. I, I think of us still very much in, in in its infancy because you have to solve these infrastructure problems to really even get adoption. We're not ready to catch the ball if it's thrown to us right now, right? Um, and so that's okay because it's good enough and where it's at right now is allowing for people to tinker and build and innovators and entrepreneurs to get their feet wet and like figure out how to do this thing. And those are the people that are obviously going to be the ones that change it. But it, there's there is more time required. I am bullish that the solutions are in place from a technical and like research standpoint, but implementation and execution are not there yet. And I even think for us, you know, we we are benefiting from actually this being a little bit of a long, quiet time to actually build out sustainable, scalable infrastructure that's going to actually work. Um, I don't, you know, we wouldn't have been ready with where our POS chain is in its current environment to have caught significant 100x scale from where we are right now. Um, so, yeah, I think all of these things matter. And so, yeah, to tie back into YouTube, it's like we're back where you're uploading cat videos, not Mr. Beast, not 4K, not 360, not live stream, right? That's like where we are right now. And so if you try to tell somebody where it's a platform that's just cat videos, that one day the superstars of the world are actually gonna upload videos on here and they're gonna change Hollywood as you know it, people will be like, you're fucking nuts, right? And so that's, we're in the you're nuts phase right now. Yeah, and I think you agree with everything you guys just both said. And I think, um, I feel like the biggest change this bear cycle compared to the last one is there's a lot of talented builders that enter this space, right? There's a lot of great startups now, even compared to like 2017 and 2018. So yeah, I think just generally speaking, um, we're also very optimistic as well. And, you know, again, just to wrap, like want to thank both of you guys for making time. I think again, a lot of this is to help the builders that are out there that are building in the trenches and, um, you know, just building great solutions to be able to bring the next market and also help us get to more uh, mass market adoption. So, so again, really appreciate your guys' time and thanks for uh, being on our pod. Thanks, thanks for having me. us. We always love chatting with you too. Thanks, guys. Thank